Okay, good morning, Brookview. My name is Haley, and I'm gonna go over the one announcement that we have, because they won't let me up here longer, okay? <laughs> but, so we have a Connect card. So if you are here today, physically, or you're online, we are so happy that you're here, and we would love for you to fill it out. There's lots of different boxes on there it, online. You can find it on the website there, brookviewchurch.com connect. And if you're visiting, we have something in the foyer for you um, just to get connected. So thank you, and now we're going to invite Jason up. So yeah, if you're visiting with us, the place you drop that in, uh, there's a, uh, right on the way out, there's a little box that says connect cards, and you can drop them there. So you guys know what we have this week? Let's go. So about five years ago, I was coaching, and I had like kids that were mostly in between first and second grade, and I had this little girl named Mia, the cutest little thing. And so we're, on, we're doing our first day, and we do a couple of things, and then I bring the kids in to tell them what we're going to do next, and I'm on a knee, and they're on a knee, and we're all in there, and I tell them the thing we're going to do next, and Mia looks at me, and she goes, that's stupid. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where it was like, I'm going to lose control <laughs> of the kids, right? And she's looking around like, ha, ah, isn't that funny, guys, right? So I, I'm sitting there, and I, I, I looked at her, and I'm... I paused, like I didn't say anything, and I just sat there, and it was so awkward that all the kids were like, what's going to happen? <laughs> so I just said, Mia, that hurts my feelings. And then the kids were like, <laughs> so pretty soon one kid goes, well, I think that sounds awesome, coach. And another kid was like, yeah, this is going to be really fun. I'm like, oh, geez, thanks, guys. And pretty soon they're all high-fiving each other. And poor Mia's like, oh. And I was like, hey, you did it to yourself, man. I'm like, <laughs> so, but then I was like, okay. So the minute we started doing something, as soon as she started doing something that was remotely good, I was like, Mia, you're killing it. Way to go, Mia. And by the end of the day, we were, we were best friends. By the end of the week, we were really best friends. Like, just one of the most memorable kids. And she had, she had glasses like really thick little glasses, and so she'd look up, at, you know, like, hi, coach. And so on the Wednesday of that week, it was raining. And so Mia's trying to play soccer, and she can't see through the, she, I mean, they're steamed up, there's water everywhere, and she comes up to me, and she's like, coach, hey, coach, I need windshield wipers for my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you do. So here's what's awesome. Uh, that was about five years ago. Mia's now aged out of our program. She's now a middle schooler, and she's going to be my assistant coach this year. I know. I'm pretty pumped about it. Um, you guys, this is a really special thing that we get to do, and um, I just kind of want to take a second and, and give this week to God because there's, there's stuff that we're hoping happens that, that no human being can make happen. And so what I want to do is, if you're coaching this week, would you, would you stand up? If you are helping or volunteering in any way, whether the barbecue or registration or lunches or whatever, would you stand up? And then if you are like a parent who's bringing kids and you're going to be around the field and you're going to have opportunities to talk with other people, would you stand up? And then if you're still sitting and you're like, 
This is like the shame set. <laughs> I, just, I just want you to know, I know that many of you would love to participate in this, but with it being Monday to Friday from, you know, 10.30 to noon, you like have to work and stuff like that. So totally get that. But what I want to do is just pray for, for this community because we are able to do something together through this that none of us would be able to do on our own. Like it takes everybody to make this thing work. And that's what makes it so beautiful. We have an opportunity to, to show Jesus to our community. And the vast majority of these kids and families that are coming, like 90-ish percent of them, do not go to Brookview. Most of them don't go to church anywhere. So this is such a cool thing. So if you're sitting, would you just kind of reach a hand up toward somebody? You don't have to put it on them unless it makes sense to. Um, <laughs> and I just want to, I just want to pray. God, would you, would you use this family of ours this week? Um, would you move in the way that we interact with people, in the way that we talk with people, in the way that we love kids, the way that we love adults. Um, and, I, and I just pray that you would do something beautiful, that you would plant some seeds this week that would just blossom into something incredible uh, as this year goes on or even as the years go on. God, would you move this week? This is more than just having fun with kids. This is reflecting you to people who, who desperately need you, whether they know they do or not. So would you pour out your Holy Spirit and just be all over that soccer field and all over everything that's related to this all week long. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Okay, I got a question for the men. Men. (laughs) Have you ever asked a woman when she's due? (laughs) And she wasn't. I, I think the average guy does this, on average, one time. <laughs> right? Like, oh. And we, we've all been in a conversation and had words come out. And before we said them, we should have we hit this button. Because once our words are out there, man, they're just, they're just out there. And so what we wish we had available at that point is this button but it's not available, that's not how life works. So we're in this series and we're thinking about the power of words and we started with a very simple idea last week and it goes like this, quick to listen, slow to speak. So let's say that together and then do the hand motions if you were here last week with us. Okay, one, two, three, quick to listen, slow to speak, okay? And so this motion sort of reminds us that when we hear an idea that we don't like or we feel like we're under attack or we, we feel like we're not being heard or understood ourselves, to keep, keep our bodies and our, our hearts and our minds and our ears open. To listen long and hard before we speak. Because we've all been on the receiving end of the power of words, right? For good or for bad. Our lives have been shaped by words that are spoken to us or over us 
or about us, right, behind our back. But have you ever noticed that words, words aren't weighted equally? So positive words, like one positive word is not equivalent to one negative word, right? Like, like if you're at work and you get a performance review, and it's like mostly raving and positive, but there's a couple of arenas of feedback, a few criticisms. What is it when you walk away from that? What is it you remember and dwell on? Oh, yeah. Because negative words, they, they, they wound us immediately, and they take some time to recover from, even when they're true. They take time to recover from. And this is why it's like so ridiculous to think that we can blow people up and then say later, like, yeah, but I said I'm sorry. As if saying sorry should immediately take away all the hurt. It's like, it's like, it's like I, I said I'm sorry, and so why aren't you fine now? Like, why aren't we back to where we were before I said that? But I mean, if you think about it, like if I slam your hand in a car door, and then I quickly open the car door and pull out your crushed hand, even if I say, I'm so sorry, that was an accident, that's nice, but you still have a mangled freaking hand. Like, like you're not back to whole. You, you still need to go get an x-ray and all of that. And so this is why our theme for this series is quick to listen, slow to speak. And here's something else. Not only are the words not equally weighted, but also the source is not equally weighted. Right? Some people's words carry a lot more weight. Um, like the words of your best friend probably carry more weight than some random driver on the freeway or a stranger at the grocery store, or the words of your boss most likely carry more weight than the receptionist. Like if you're a mom, your words carry a lot of weight to your kids. If you're a dad, and I don't know why this is, but often if you're a dad, your words carry the most weight of all. Like why is it that the words of, of our dads can like lift us up or destroy us? And, and I, I, like I see this in Jen, her dad has such weighty words for her. Like her mom can criticize her and she doesn't like it, okay? She, she doesn't like it. But, but like a negative word from her dad absolutely wrecks her. And, and sons, I think, uh, sons feel the words of their dad in a very special way, like good or bad. This is something about sons and dads. And in a similar but slightly different way, it's true for daughters. And so I, I don't know why this is the case, but you can see it time and time again. Now last week we, we dove into the words of James, the little brother of Jesus, which is, is kind of like wild when you think about it. The little brother of Jesus. Can you, can you imagine what that must have been like? Like, okay, so here's what I imagine. And this will probably say a whole lot more about me than James or Jesus or anything else, but here's what I imagine. Mary says, James, why haven't you cleaned your room like I told you? Hey, Mom, how come Jesus never gets in trouble? You and Dad act like Jesus is perfect. <laughs> you know, like, that'd be tough. Um, now, maybe Jesus as your older brother would have some perks to it. I, I would think there'd be a lot of perks to it. Like, imagine how he'd be there for you if you need him. Or how good his life advice to you would be, right? But it certainly would come with some tough, confusing stuff, which might be why James was slow to board the Jesus is the Son of God train. Initially, James was skeptical and embarrassed 
by the claims of Jesus. And he became a devoted follower of Jesus only after the crucifixion. Why? Well, watching your brother executed by the Romans and then walking and talking and eating with him three weeks later, it has the power to change your mind about stuff. So eventually, James became the leader of the Christian movement in Jerusalem. But in A.D. 62, he was executed for teaching about Jesus' resurrection. And he gave his life insisting that he saw Jesus raised from the dead, as did many, many, many other people. But before his death, he wrote a letter to Christians in and around Jerusalem. And it's really not a very theological letter. It's mostly just like practical It's how to live well. And he has a lot to say about the power of words in relationships. So last week, we looked at chapter one, which is where we got, where we kind of got our theme, which is quick to listen, slow to speak, right? And then in chapter three, what he does is he expounds on why this is so vital. And so I'm going to read you to start this morning. We're just going to read you a large chunk of chapter three. And what I want you to notice is notice how strong his language and his metaphors are around this whole theme. Okay, here we go. James chapter three, starting with verse two. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Are you feeling uplifted? (laughs) With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear trigs? Bear trigs. Bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, so let's let's work through this. James begins and he says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying, as your your mouth goes, so goes your whole life. Like gain control of your words and you will keep your whole body out of trouble. And immediately then he gives several different examples of, of what this is like. First example, he says, here's what I'm saying. Here's what this is like. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We got any horse people in here? You're a horse people? Yeah. Get, well, get, get it up there. Be proud. That's, that's Brian. Yeah, get it, Daddy. <laughs> 
Uh, what are you going to do if I call on you, huh? <laughs> oh, yes. So, okay, I grew up around horses um, because I lived in Linwood. So we had, we had a few acres, and our next-door neighbors, they had stables, and they boarded horses. And so between, then between our two properties, we had a fence, an electric fence. And I'll just say, as a kid, I was curious because I heard that if I went number one on the fence, it would feel kind of funny. <laughs> and now as a grown, a grown dang man, I will tell you, it doesn't feel funny at all. <laughs> but this was, okay, this was Linwood in the early 80s. And there's horses and stables, right? Linwood has changed. So now in the, uh, those two properties, there's like 25 houses built there. Our property and our neighbors have been just completely developed. So no more horses, just like house on house. So being a, a horse person is not as easy anymore. Um, but here's what's always been kind of crazy to me. Have you ever seen a, a little kid riding a horse? Is that not the craziest thing? So it's ridiculous when you think about it. Like, why would a massive animal allow a little child to control it? Well, according to James, here's exactly what he says. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. He gives another illustration from everyday life. He says, or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So here's a drawing of an ancient ship, right? It's a giant boat with several sails. It could have held tons and tons of cargo. And yet, in spite of strong currents and heavy winds, it's got this itty-bitty little rudder that determines the direction of the entire ship. James continues. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, right? For good or bad, this tiny little thing has the power to control your destiny. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark, okay? So you get the image. You imagine like thousands of acres being consumed by flames. And James says that all it takes is a single spark to set it off. And so his point is something so small. I know, this is really good, you guys. <laughs> something so small leads to something so vast, right? And just the tiniest spark can leave like scorched earth. And then James dives deeper into this illustration. He says the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. So our tongue, our mouth, has the potential for endless evil and as we'll focus on next week, it has also the potential for endless good. But here, James is, is focusing on the damage it can do. Like, I can burn down my marriage with words. I can burn down a friendship with words. I can burn down my relationship with my kids with words. I can burn down my career, my future, my whole life with words. 
And he finishes by saying, you, you have to guard your tongue your whole life. You're going to have to guard this. In verse 7, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. He's saying most of us don't go to sleep at night worried about being, like, eaten. So bears and lions and crocodiles, like, thankfully, you guys, thankfully, we have the upper hand. So he's saying that the human race is, is not, like, being threatened by the animal kingdom. Now, in the future, we may be threatened by apes. And if you've seen Planet of the Apes... <laughs> You, you know all about it. It's, it's horrifying. But mostly, we, we've found a way to tame the animal kingdom, right? And so James says, but no human being can tame the tongue. Okay, we can tame lions and bears and, and serpents and all this stuff, but we cannot tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Guys, you can tame lions and bears and elephants and horses, but you will never fully domesticate the tongue. It's dangerous and, and can strike at any time. It is restless, ready to take action and do damage. So never let your guard down, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. And James says not only, not only is it restless, but it is full of deadly poison. In other words, when the tongue strikes, it can be fatal. Now think about, think about how true this is in so many different arenas of life. Like right now, today, I'm up here with this mic on my cheek. You guys, I could ruin my entire career, my entire life in ministry with a few words. I could say some stuff. I could say some things. And next week, the, the, the board would have to stand up here and say, hey, you all remember Jason? <laughs> some of you were here, were here for what happened last week, and he, he will not be back. Uh, he said he's so sorry, but still, he's not coming back, right? Like, I could stand up here and, with words, kill my future ministry. And not only would I not be welcome in this church, you guys, I wouldn't be welcome in any church just because of words. Like, that's the poison. That's why I need to guard my words. I can kill a friendship, a marriage, a career, my relationship with my kids, my future, my whole life. And so we can go from doing good to doing harm so fast. And James says, this is why you got to really watch it. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Right? So we can go to church and praise God and sing worship songs, and we can pray and talk to God and tell Him how we love Him, and we can mean it. Right? And, and, and we can be sincere, and then not an hour later, we're out with, uh, with people and we're tearing somebody down. We criticize, right? Or we use sarcasm, or we gossip, or we bash people, or whatever. And before you feel like I'm getting all righteous on you, I'm talking about me. You should hear the things I say about you. <laughs> no. No, but, but <laughs> so that's the, the board. It's getting, we're getting close to the board. But you guys, I have felt myself do this, right? Like after church, we're all, I'm having lunch and the guard is down and it's just like my tongue is, is untamable and needs to be guarded at all times, right? And then James points out that when our words go bad, like it spoils everything. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, like you can't just add a little good to to try to like outdo the, the bad you did, it doesn't work like that. 
He says, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. His point is, what happens is what's going on is your words, they reflect your heart. And you can't have a heart that's pure and then speak horrible things. And then what comes next is, is kind of a shock. He says all this and then it's just like, the end. <laughs> and that's it, right? Like, he finishes and he goes on to the next topic. And apparently James was not, was not well trained in how to like make a praise sandwich, <laughs> right? In our culture, you guys know about this, you know how to do this, right? When, when you give hard feedback to anybody, an employee or a child or your spouse, for that matter, if you're not doing with your this with your spouse, you should. But you, you start with something positive, some praise, right, the bread, and then you slip in the criticism, the hard words, the meat, and then you end with praise again, right, a praise sandwich. Like, Billy, you're trying so hard. Great job. Next time you have the basketball, though, you, you can't run with it. You have to dribble. But, but I love how hard you're running. Okay, that's a, that, that's, this is American psychology. Eugene's like, I don't know what this is. This is... <laughs> This is stupid. <laughs> Say what you mean. <laughs> Some of you had sensitivity training, you know. And apparently James did not, because James did not do this. And so for us, like, we're Americans, we're like, that feels weird, you can't just do that. James was like, I, I, watch me. <laughs> and we look at this, we go, James, why, why so harsh? And just, you know, like, why don't you give us some, like, Throw in some practical tips, like how do we do this? Give us some application, how to fix our mouths. But by ending abruptly without any of that, I, here's what I think he's doing. He's saying there is no once and for all solution for this. You can't just like simplify this down. This is going to be a constant battle. There's no, hey, once you learn this, you're done, or once you're mature enough, you're done, or once you hit a certain age, you're done. No, this, this is a constant battle that all of us will fight our entire lives. Our mouth has potential for great good, and as we're going to see next week, our mouth also has potential to do great harm. So for good or bad, it determines the direction and the quality of your life when you think about it. It determines the direction and the quality of your, your family Okay, your marriage and parenting, your friendships, your career, everything. And James says, look, this is a really big deal, and you're never safe. Your mouth is restless and capable of striking at any moment, so don't be naive. It needs to constantly be guarded, right? Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, that, that might lead us to ask, like, okay, what, why is this such a struggle? Like, it's universal. Why? And of course, there's, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, first of all, we're all broken. All of us are broken. None of us are completely whole. We have all this stuff going on inside of us, boiling up all the time. There's jealousy, there's fear, there's anger, right? There's insecurity, there's inadequacy, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And that kind of stuff, when these emotions get flowing and then our mouth starts going, it's just like, watch out, right? But there's another reason that this is such a struggle, I think, and it's that We've all been hurt by words ourselves. So we're all carrying around junk from our past. 
we are, all of us, the walking wounded. I mean, as the saying goes, hurt people, what? Hurt people. And so, like, for me, I was thinking about this, and I could use so many different examples, but one of the most difficult seasons in my life was when my parents divorced. Um, So from two years old to fourth grade, um, I lived with my mom and stepdad, but at the end of fourth grade, when I was 10, my mom divorced my stepdad. And she and I moved from Linwood, this huge property, to Muckleteo. And I didn't have any siblings, so it was just me and my mom. And as you can imagine, uh, the change was tough for me. And so we moved from this huge house with this huge yard to this tiny little condo. And there weren't any other kids that lived in the condo complex. And I used to have friends in the neighborhood and at school. And this new place didn't even have a neighborhood. And I, and I was at a brand new school. But for me, the, the hardest part of of all of it was that my stepdad and I had been like incredibly close. He was very, very good to me, especially for a stepdad. I mean, just really, really good to me. And, and we were tight. So we were, we connected in a lot of ways, but the big thing for us was sports. Um, so we'd play catch and we'd shoot baskets. Like he'd get home from, in the summertime, he'd get home from work in his suit. He was an accountant and I'd have two baseball gloves there. Right. And it was just like, let's go. Um, or we'd shoot baskets or we'd, watch games on TV, and, and for basketball, he actually coached my teams. So after the divorce, my mom was upset with him about some of the financial settlement stuff. And since he was my stepdad, he had no legal rights to me. So for a season, my mom told him, you can't see Jason anymore. And so like until he gave her what she wanted, she used me as leverage. And so I didn't see him for several months. And, it, and it, was, it was crazy. I think about that, and I just go back to the hurt people, hurt people. So eventually, my mom came to her senses, and she changed her mind. So they split in the summer, and I didn't really see him until late fall. And by um, winter, he and I started reconnecting a little bit. And by winter, I was playing basketball. Now, I didn't get to play for my old team in Linwood, the one that won the city championship, and the one that my dad coached. Uh, Instead, I played in Muckle (laughs) Teo, which is awesome. (laughs) But I was struggling with all kinds of stuff in this new life, including basketball. Uh, So my my new coach didn't, I I don't think he liked me, and he certainly didn't treat me like I was very good. And that was just tough because, like, sports were my whole identity. Like, if I was good at anything, and I wasn't that good at anything, but if I was good at something, it was sports. And even, even in this new season, even basketball wasn't going well. So uh, after a few games, my, my stepdad called, and he said he wanted to come watch me play. And um, I don't know if I could communicate how excited I was. Uh, like, I couldn't sleep the night before, right? This was such a big deal. But the game didn't go well. Our team sucked. And we got killed, and I was really out of sync, and I played like crap, and I was so frustrated, and just I was just embarrassed, right? So after the game, I beeline for my stepdad, because I got to be around somebody that knows that I'm good, right? Somebody that believes in me. So I'm I'm desperate for him to tell me, uh, hey, you know, you still got it. I wanted him to go off uh, on a bunch of things. I wanted him to go off about how stupid my coach was. 
and how bad the refs were and how bad my teammates were. Like I, I, was, I was sort of fantasizing that he would say something like, man, this is a terrible situation, just unbelievable. Like how can you play with other kids that are that unskilled? <laughs> a bunch of losers. Like, and, and, and like they can't pass or shoot or do anything. It's horrible. And I, you know what? I don't think anybody could play well on a team like that. Right? Larry Bird couldn't make this thing any better. <laughs> and, the, and the refs are horrible. And, and your, your coach doesn't know anything about basketball. Like, what kind of offense are you guys even trying to run out there? And that would never work. This is a mess. Right? But despite all that stuff, Jason, it's obvious to anybody that knows anything about basketball that you are a heck of a player. You're just really in a tough situation. So it'll get better. Just keep playing because, Jason, you can play. But that's not what he said. I looked up at him, and he just had this disgusted sort of expression on his face. And he said, what the heck happened to you? He's like, I thought we had a pretty good little basketball player. What was that? And you guys, like, in light of everything that was going on, in my world at that time, I can't tell you how crushing that was. So my mom and I got back to our little condo, and I was, I was just wrecked. I'm 10 years old, I'm broken, and I just like couldn't get over it. So, I mean, everything in life just felt so out of whack, and I just felt lost, and the, you know, it's like I needed this. So my mom came into my room later that night, and I'm I'm sobbing. And she was like, she's like, all right, that's it. Get in the car. And she drove straight to our old house, straight to my stepdad, and she pounded on the door until he opened it. And then she looked at me and she said, Jason, tell him, tell him how what he said made you feel. And I could barely speak, right? It was horrible. And I just looked into his eyes and I lost it. And he lost it. And it was awful. I mean, the whole situation was awful. Being separated like we were. And here, now that I'm older, like, I cannot imagine all the emotions he was feeling in the middle of all this. Right? Like, he lost his wife. And he lost his little buddy. He lost his family. And so I can't imagine how hurt and confused and disoriented he felt. Like all the anger and the sadness and all, all of that, it must have just been overwhelming. And hurt people, they hurt people. And here's what I know. The last person in the world he would want to hurt was me. Like I was already vulnerable and raw and his, his words just left me like scorched. And he apologized and he did the best that he could. Um, but you guys, here's, here's what's crazy about this. I, I'm 50 years old. This was 40 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday because it was, it was a painful season, and that moment was such a low point. Now, I bring this up because everybody in here has been wounded by words. We've all looked at the people who were supposed to love us, and instead of protecting us, they wounded us. In fact, this story with my stepdad is really small potatoes, right? Some of you are like, that's it? I know, 
<laughs> mock me later. But I, I grew up with parents that loved me, right? They were in my corner. I knew it. Some of you, you came from homes and environments I can't even imagine. Like unthinkable words have been spoken over you or to you or about you. And the damage that you're carrying is unthinkable. Like, because you just got scorched over and over and over. Why is taming our tongue so hard? Because, because you're carrying some deep wounds. And as we know, hurt people hurt people. And it can turn into a repeating sort of ongoing cycle. And so that leads to just kind of one last thought. You guys, somebody has to step up and break the cycle. So for those of you that grew up in homes or environments where you were just scorched over and over and over and over, for the sake of the next generation and the people around you, you've got to break the cycle. And let's get real. You will be inclined to repeat the cycle. In fact, you may sometimes hear words coming out of your mouth and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? You know where it came from. And, and here's, here's why this matters so much, because words are so powerful. And as I said earlier, dads, I don't know why this is, but our words tend to carry the most weight. When we say hurtful things, those words tend to be the heaviest. But it's not just dads, right? It's like kids to your parents. I mean, like, that's all of us. We're all somebody's kids. And if you have a parent that you still interact with and talk with, you realize your, your words to them, they matter. Guys, our words as kids to our parents, they matter so much. I'll tell you that as a parent now. And it's funny because as kids, we don't really see that. You know, like, raise a finger if you're under the age of uh, 18 in here. God bless you, Brooklyn. I hope you're really listening to this. <laughs> oh, Logan, come on, brother. It is so easy when you're a kid to not even see your parent as a human being, right? It's just like, it's just my mom, it's just my dad. They tell me what to do, and I don't usually like it. <laughs> Here's the thing. Your, your, your words matter so much to your parents to your mom or your dad. And as you get older and now you're an adult and you have parents, like, it matters so much. And then I just want to speak, okay, you ladies that, that have a man, we look like we're all tough. We look like we can take anything. Right, guys? Right, Brian? <laughs> I mean, especially the cowboys. We, we look like we're so tough and, and we do our best to just <laughs> and laugh it off, <laughs> right, when we're criticizing. <laughs> the ladies, are, we're, like our egos are fragile. Um, and so I just implore you, like, guard your words. And men, for heaven's sakes, honor women with your words. Like, this is huge. Like, honor women with your words, the women in your life, right? The women at work, any woman you come into contact with. Like, just decide, I'm going to honor women in the presence of women. And I'm going to honor women when there are no women around. Why? Because that's the world you want to live in. 
I mean, man, that's the world you want your daughter to live in, right? This is the world that you want your granddaughter to grow up in, right? And this is, this is hard for all of us, but for some, it's tougher than others because for some, the wounds throughout life, they run deep. But there, I just want to say there's more to, to walking with Jesus than just going to church and hearing a pastor say, do better. Um, and the more is this, you're not alone in this. Like, so please don't hear me saying, you know what, you need to just grit your teeth and do better. Yeah, it's going to take effort for sure, but you're not alone in this. Um, you, you have help in this. This is the whole point of walking with Jesus. Um, this week I went through an ordeal that gave me some perspective. So last Sunday night I went to bed, normal, around 11 o'clock. And then I woke up at 3 a.m. with irritated eyes. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Did I forget to take my contacts out? No, I, I took my contacts out, but my eyes were super irritated. And once, once I got up to make sure that I took my contacts out, I was like, I had better look. I noticed that as, as I opened my eyes, they felt better. So I decided to like get up for a little bit and like watch TV and see if they would get better while I kept my eyes open. I didn't want to wake up Jen, right? It's three in the morning. You don't want to wake up Jen at three in the morning. <laughs> okay, but by five o'clock a.m., a couple hours later, they're, get, they're getting like way worse. So I, <laughs> I broke down and I, I woke Jen up and she ran me to the ER. And they did some tests, which irritated my eyes even more, okay? So by 6 a.m., it started off, I felt like maybe I had a little dust or something in there. That's how it felt at 3 a.m. By 6 a.m., it felt like I'd been pepper sprayed. I'm like, I couldn't even keep my eyes open anymore. And thankfully, they have these eye drops, these are amazing, that can numb the cornea. So they pry your eye open, and then they drop that in there, and I was like, immediately, I was like, oh, I can open my eyes. This is, and, and so they could test, they could do the tests. So immediately the burn would go away. But here's the, here's the problem with this thing. Anybody know how long that lasts? Not long. It lasts about 15 minutes. And when, then when it goes away after they've messed around in there to do tests, it's even worse, right? So after two episodes of the numbing solution and the testing, after it wore off, my, my eyes were, I mean, they were closed and they were on fire. And so the doctor explained in the ER, you have large corneal ulcers on both eyes. And he said to Jen, come here, look at this. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, it's no wonder you're in so much pain. Now, this is happening because your contacts don't work for you. Um, so you need to see an eye doctor and get new contacts because the, one, the ones that you're using, are, they must be ill-fitting. So I'm going to give you a prescription for antibiotic drops so you don't get an infection and you should use those drops or you could go blind. <laughs> and then you should make a follow-up appointment with an eye doctor for like the end of the week. Oh yeah, also, I'm going to write you a prescription for some painkillers. He's like, that, that looks like it hurts. I'm like... <laughs> so with my eyes on fire, unable to open them, you guys effectively blind... They sent me home. So Jen's like, how am I going to get him like, to the car? She's like, she goes and gets a wheelchair. She, whe she wheelchairs me out to the car. 
Uh, and by the way, in the, during the test things, they had dilated my eyes. So now it's 9 a.m. and it's sunny. And, and they're on fire and they're sensitive to light and I can't open them. And it's, this is all giving me a, just a raging headache. I was pathetic. So Jen had to lead me by the hand to get me in the car. Like, here's the handle, honey. And, and then out of the car into the house and we got steps and all that. And she's trying to help me up the steps. And you guys, I was, I was helpless, in pain, blind, and miserable. But in the car, Jen and I talked about this diagnosis. And it was like, okay, I've worn these same contacts for a year and a half. And, and I've never had problems. Like, and, and now I've got corneal ulcers that have formed on both eyes at exactly the same time? What is the likelihood of that? I don't, I don't think that's what's going on. And Jen, Jen agreed. She's like, yeah, that's, that's absurd. We need a second opinion, like, right away, like, today. But first, because of her mercy gift, she went and got me some prescriptions to get me some pain meds. Because, I mean, so, and you guys, also, the antibiotic drops, right? So, you know, so I don't go permanently blind. You got to, like, crank your eyes open and then put this drop in there. It was, it was about the worst pain I've ever had. I'm sure it was it's just as bad as childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> just making friends left and right. <laughs> so, so Jen calls, she finally, she calls around and is really aggressive about it, gets me an appointment with an eye doctor, an eye doctor that I had actually seen before, but they couldn't get me in until 3.30 in the afternoon. So I sat on the couch, because that was kind of like the darkest room in, the, in our basement where the TV is, and, um, and I just put, she put like a black, you know, mask that you'd wear over my eyes to protect, and, and then I, I like, I had her turn on the MLB network <laughs> on the TV, and I just listened, because we're getting real close to the trade deadline. So that was kind of interesting. But so at 3.30, Jen led me by the hand to the car, and, it, and then she, you know, parked the car, and we're in the parking lot, and she's leading me by the hand into the doctor's, uh, the eye doctor's office. You guys, it was pathetic. But the eye doctor, thank God, had these numbing, same numbing things, and he, oh, it was like heaven for about 13 and a half minutes. <laughs> and then she did her test, and she said, hey, um, you actually don't have corneal ulcers. You have two huge abrasions. You have a, a large scratch, okay, on both eyes, and it is really, really bad. And I can see why you're in so much pain. And so um, I, and I, I can't keep giving you the numbing drops because it will damage your eyes if you overuse it over time. It's not made for that. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a protective lens in your eye to protect your eyeball. So she's propping my eye open, putting, you know. She said it should help with the pain. So here's what it's like. She says it's like you have paper cuts, essentially, on both eyes. And the lens will sort of act like a Band-Aid. She's like, hey, you know how when you get a paper cut, it hurts, but if you get a Band-Aid on it and it holds it still, it's more bearable. She's like, I'm really hoping this will help. So you guys, it totally helped. <laughs> and I actually walked out of the office like 20 minutes later with my eyes wide open, and I felt so much better. You guys, the eye doctor is my hero. So then I went back, that was on Monday, I went back Tuesday for the follow-up, and she took the protective lenses out, and my, she said my corneas were already 90% healed. 
eyes heal very fast. So I got home and I was like, I'm going to send a picture to my girls because I wanted them to see me with my eyes open and just be encouraged that things were healing because both Kate and Brooke had to happen to leave the house at like four in the morning, the morning that this was all going on. So they saw me before they left and then they heard from their mom that like I was in the ER and blind. <laughs> and so, so we're trying to kind of keep them updated. Now that I can see my texts, I can do this. So they were worried. So here's the picture after things were all better. This is Tuesday. And then I did the follow-up on Friday, and you guys, by Friday, 100% healed. So I'm back wearing contacts like today. But here's what I'll tell you. That experience got my attention. I, I was effectively blind from 6 a.m. to 4 p.m., and it was, it was 10 hours of hell. Now, thankfully, Jen was incredible. Like, she, she is just a different, I can't imagine facing that without her by my side for all of it. And not only was she super compassionate, like extra compassionate, but she was determined to get me to a real eye doctor, to somebody that could really help. Like, you need something beyond the ER doctor. And of course, the other hero in the story is the eye doctor. So when she gave me the all clear on Friday, I was like, thanks. <laughs> but what I really wanted to do was give her like a freaking bear hug. You know, would that be inappropriate, you think? No? <laughs> okay. Oh, it, oh, okay. Okay, back to, the, back to the idea. Someone has to step up and break the cycle. This week was kind of like a life metaphor for me. Because between 18 and 20, 21 years old, uh, well, really up until that 20, you know, I, I was lost. And I was, I was hurting, I was blind, and I was helpless. And God sent some people like a series of different people, and they were really kind to me. And they saw all that was going on in me, the insecurity, the depression, the fear, all this stuff, and they knew Jesus, and they wanted me to know Jesus. I, like, I was blind to so much, but they basically led me by the hand to the healer. And eventually, Jesus broke through to me, and he healed some stuff, like he healed some stuff immediately, and then there's been a whole bunch of other stuff that's been a process of healing that's still ongoing. And, and many of you in this room have had a similar experience. You were blind, hurting, and helpless, and someone led you by the hand. And in Jesus, a whole bunch of stuff has been and is being healed. This is, this is how we break the cycle. It, it, it isn't just grit your teeth with willpower. It isn't just, hey, you suck, do better. It, it's actually, it's Christ working in you. Um, many of you have, you, many of you, you've been scorched by someone. You have, like, a parent that was supposed to love and protect you. A friend that you trusted and that you opened your heart to. A coach that treated you like dirt. Or maybe a spouse or a sibling or maybe, I, who knows. But you've been scorched. You, you, you should be damaged goods. And if hurt people hurt people, then you should be dangerous. But God is renewing your heart. And in you, he's breaking the cycle. And some of you are, are leading lives now that, are, that you have no business leading. They're so beautiful. You have no business leading this kind of life. God has softened your heart and he's filled you with so much life and, and you are passing that life on to others all around you day after day after day. 
You have no business being as tender, as kind, as encouraging as you are. Like, this is what Jesus does. He's the great physician. And this means that none of us have to walk through life blind, hurting, and helpless. So even if you've been wounded by words, you can let them die with you because someone has to step up and break the cycle. And for the sake of those around you, be a cycle breaker. For the sake of the next generation, let Jesus do his work in you. Now, by the way, on on my way out of the office after my follow-up visit, so this is on Tuesday, the day of that picture, the lady that takes the payment there at the eye doctor, she says, boy, she's kind of mocking me. She goes, boy, you look better today. (laughs) And I said, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's nice not being led around by my wife and like being able to see and stuff. Um. But honestly, I can't figure out how I possibly got a large scratch in each eye in the middle of the night in the first place. And so she said, no joke, do you have cats? I I tried to envision cats scratching both my eyes (laughs) in my sleep. You guys, you talk about creepy. It's just like, oh. Now, I don't have cats, you know, like for that very reason. That's the only reason. So I was like, yeah, no, no cats. And so she said with a smirk, she says, well, are you haunted? And I was like, yeah, maybe. So how does it go? How does it feel to go to a church with a haunted pastor? It's, Sometimes the source of our words, you know, and the, the source of, of our wounds and, and all, the, all that we're dealing with, sometimes we're wounded, but it's like the source is a mystery. And so maybe you're, you're, you're somebody who you're like, yeah, I'm critical, or I'm sarcastic, or I'm judgmental, or I'm quick to gossip. But you can't necessarily point to why. It doesn't matter. Like the remedy is the same. Guard your tongue. And let the healer do work on your heart, and he will. And here's what I'll tell you. Everyone around you will be grateful. Father in heaven, I thank you for the way that you work in our lives. I thank you for the way that so many in this room are breaking the cycle. And I pray that no matter what our background is, even if we come from places where we have really been treated well by the vast majority of people, the vast majority of our lives. I just pray that you would protect us from using our mouths as the kind of sparks that create fires and, and leave people scorched. Whether we're talking to them, or over them, or about them, behind their back, or whatever. God, would you, would you help us to watch over our mouths, help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and would you help us use our mouths for words that speak life. Amen.